stop. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Amen. 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 Wow. Well, guys, what do you do after that? Praise God. I love you guys. Y'all doing all right? Y'all doing okay? Okay. How are your hearts tonight? All right? Man, he's got some good stuff for you tonight. I believe that. I believe that. Well, welcome. Uh, my name's Jess. I've had the privilege of being around here a little bit. Love you guys so much. If you're new, man, you are catching the wave at the right time. I'm so glad you guys are here tonight. We are in a series called Trailblazers. Trailblazers, this is about pioneers. This is about innovators. This is about people that are changing the game, game changers, right? Rearrangers, trendsetters. That's what this is about. A pioneer is somebody who goes into a foreign country and settles there for the first time. An innovator is someone who thinks of a new idea and then implements it. Um, man, a trendsetter is someone who leads the way in a new trend, and they lead people as they go. And history, history books have been written by people who have set new trends, by people that have been trailblazers. The trajectory of history has actually shifted by people changing the game for, what, for whatever they feel they need to change the game for. And so people like Rosa Parks, people like Steve Jobs, people like Martin Luther, history was heading in one direction, and they call this in psychology, they call this a zeitgeist. It's a feeling or a vibration of the times, yeah? And it, uh, but what these people would do is they would see that culture was moving a certain path, that culture was moving a certain direction, and they would look at that path, they would look at that direction, and they would say, I think I'm going to go a different way. And so for Rosa Parks, she said, I think I'm going to sit in a different seat. And then for the Wright brothers, for Elon Musk, they're like, I think we're going to travel a different way. We're just not going to do it the way we've always done it. We're going to do it a different way. For Martin Luther, he looked at the religious establishment of the times and he read the Bible and he's like, okay, I actually think we're going to pursue faith a different way. And what I need you to understand about these individuals is that they went out into a foreign land, into a foreign path, bridging a, a new road and an entire generation followed them. And they changed history. In our culture, our generation talks all the time. You talk to people about their Starbucks job or about how, like, you know, maybe they're, like, I don't know, working in a lumber yard, and they're like, well, I just want to make an impact, you know? Like, I'm just, I'm tired of this job. I want to make an impact. You know, that's our generation. We're not satisfied being stay-at-home moms or having blue-collar jobs for better or for worse. I think sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but we're not satisfied with that. We want to be trailblazers. We want to be world changers but listen to me tonight, if that is what you are wanting for your life, if you're really wanting to make an impact, then I believe that there is something that our generation needs that it does not currently have, at least not in the capacity that I think it needs it. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Acts, and we're going to be reading about one of the very first trailblazers in Scripture. His name is Peter. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I think you guys know where I'm going. If you don't, and you're a Presbyterian, I apologize. <laughs> All right, so it says this. This is Acts 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place and suddenly a violent sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one, you guys, if you haven't read your Bible this year, I'm going to catch you up, okay? Um, Because each one heard their own language being spoken and utterly amazed, they asked, aren't they all Galileans? How is it then that each of them, or that we are each hearing in our native tongues? There were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, um, or Pontus, I'm sorry, in Asia, um, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome. These, I mean, these people are from all over the place. They're like, how is this happening? Both Jews and converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the works of God in our own tongues and amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? But then there's other people, probably the lame people in the room that said, I think they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up in front of the 11, or with the 11, I'm sorry, and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. I love it. He's like, they're not drunk. This only night in the morning. He's like, we're going to get drunk, but that's later. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. Peter's the father of the church. It's a joke. Okay? It's a joke. Wow. Delete that for later. (laughs) It's only nine in the morning. No, he says. This is what's been talked about from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants both men and women. I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above and in signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of our God and Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is something that our generation needs more of that it does not currently have. And if you are wanting to be a trailblazer, you need more of this too. And I believe that what we need more of is more power. And when I, knock, when I talk about power, I'm not talking about like human power. I'm talking about God-given inertia from the Holy Spirit. And so tonight what we are going to talk about is having more power. And so if everybody can bow their heads, we're just going to invite God to do what only he can do. God, this is your house. God, these are your people. God, this is your church. You, you rule, you reign, your father, your king. You're my savior and my life, and I believe you're moving. I know that tonight that you want to move in every single person's life and you want to do it in a way that is meaningful and real. No more limping Christianity. No more half-hearted Christianity. No more um, man just getting by in life, but God, full power. God, we ask you to come. God, we ask you to come tonight as only you can come. And we are grateful. We're expectant. Our hands are open. We're waiting. 
We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So how many of, do we have any CCU students in the house? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a couple of you. Praise God. Hey, I'm going to be with you guys in March. I can't wait. It's going to get messy. We're going to burn down the building. I can't wait. Um, so I'm so excited. But I was an RA when I was at CCU. I was an RA. And uh, essentially, you had to, you know, you oversaw some students. It was super great. But then you had to do this thing where you would do nighttime rounds to kind of keep the peace, right? And you'd check in, and then essentially what you would do is you'd walk around with your flashlight. <laughs> this is so funny. And, and you would make sure that everything was cool, but you essentially have no authority, right? Like, you're like Paul, Paul Blart, the mall cop, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, no authority at all. And so you walk around, and you know, you're looking for like two things. Like, are people minding quiet hours? Like, kid you not? I remember writing people up and being like, like, I'm so sorry, you invaded quiet hours of all things. I'm just sorry, you know? And it was either that or like you wanted to catch people making out in the prayer chapel, but you had no authority. So you would want, you know, what are you supposed to do? You're just like, do, do, do. Um, hello? Um, like, can you come out of there? Like, what do you do, you know? Like, there was like, there was no, there was no authority. There was nothing to be done, but, but we did it anyway. And so there was four of us on one night, four of us on duty, doing our rounds, and we normally walk. Well, two of the guys worked on facilities as well, and facilities has two really souped-up golf carts. And they're like, I know, we should probably steal these, like any good Christian leader would say, right? <laughs> and so, and so, but then, you know, like in our minds, we're like, the student activities director would be totally cool with this. We're allocating funds for the right things, you know, and we're actually doing time management, so he'd be all about this. So really, we're doing him a favor. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we do as Christians. We make big mistakes, and then we're just like trying to make it okay, right? And so we get into these golf carts, and, and um, it's me and Jenny in one golf cart, she's driving, and then it's our two fellow friends in another cart, and there is a, man, there is a sexist stereotype out there that I want to address tonight, and it is that women are bad drivers. <laughs> and it is absolutely true. <laughs> like five cars. So maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me and my homegirl Jenny. Okay. So we get in these golf carts and she's like, she's like, okay, you know, and she's driving and she's like, and the, we were racing. We were essentially racing these golf carts around the campus and there's a straightaway and they're ahead of us. There's a straightaway and she's gunning it. And I don't know how fast, but we were going fast, you guys. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, but she jerked to the left. When she did that, I launched out the right. And at first, at first, I like caught myself and I was like, I'm gonna be okay, I'm all right. But it was only like two steps in and then all of a sudden like that, my body was not able to run, you know, 30 miles an hour. And so I just go, like just sprawl out road rash, like all the way down. I had a chunk of flesh like out of my hip, you know, and I literally was like, Jenny, I like deleted her as a Facebook friend. You know what I mean? It's like, it's over with. <laughs> Have you ever felt though, in your life, like you need more power? Have you ever felt like, man, I need more inertia here. I need more momentum here. I think when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the church of Jesus, we need more inertia. We need more power. 
Because listen to me, we need something that is going to keep pace with the culture that we're living in. Because we live in a culture that is moving fast. Right now, the way that we address one another and the way that we socialize with one another is, is kind of forming us as a generation and as a society, and it is happening fast. It's through Tinder, and it's through social networks, it's through Instagram and Snapchat. There are one billion Instagram users in the world. Every day, 90 million posts get made, and 4.2 billion likes get made a day. It's like we're just looking for hum human connectivity just as rapidly as we can. Culture is trying to tell us what's real and what's true, and they feed us so many lies on such a regular basis, whether it's advertisements or just little sound bites or 180 characters on Twitter, that it's so difficult for us to keep up with what's actually true. We try our very best and we read our verses, we pray, we spend time with God, we spend time in Christian community, but how many of you feel like you need a little bit more? You need a little bit more than just that. Culture is self-serving, self-sufficient, it is self-reliant and selfish, and man, it is leaking out into the church. And right now, the church... The church, I mean, it's like, it's like, listen, culture isn't like a golf cart. It's not like a 30-mile-an-hour golf cart. It is like a 100-mile-an-hour freight train. And the church of Jesus is like a 19-year-old girl just trying to keep pace but losing ground, trying to bring power into our culture but feeling a little bit powerless if we're being honest. And God says, I have more for you than that. I have more for you than that. I haven't preached from paper in a while. Give me a second. Wow, sorry. Jesus, at the beginning of Acts, walks into a room, and, and he's alive. So if you don't, let me back up. Okay, Jesus died, <laughs> and then he got up and rose again, two miles away. And he's like, fellas, and they're like, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> and he rolls up on all of his disciples, the, the apostolic women. He rolls up on, like, these new disciples who are kind of part of the group right now. And for 40 days, 40 days, Jesus hung out with these people post-resurrection. 40 days talking with them, walking with them, sitting with them, eating with them. Could you imagine if Jesus sat next to you tonight and was like, oh, yo, what up, Terrence? What do you want to talk about? And you're like, my love life, thank you. You know, he's like, <laughs> like, could you imagine? This is what they experienced for 40 days. And then one night, he's sitting at dinner with all of these people, this beautiful set of people. He's eating, and he looks up with them, and he says, I'm going soon. I'm leaving. And I'm about to send you something that's better than me being here. He says, I'm sending my Holy Spirit and I'm sending my power. And immediately they're like, oh, cool, power. And power, yes, Jesus. Because they're thinking worldly power, and they're like, sweet, so Jesus, are you establishing your kingdom at this point? Because they think that power means Caesar. They think that power means Rome. They think that power means dominion. And don't we do this as Christians, right? Like we want to look like the world, but then put a label of Jesus over top of it and be like, oh, you know, this is actually, I mean, we want celebrity, but we call it influence. 
We want riches, but we call it favor. We want worldly things. We want kingdom, but we're like, oh, it's a heavenly kingdom. And so these people are like, oh, so worldly power. And he's like, no, no. What I'm going to give you is so much better than worldly power. What I'm going to give you is rich and deep and wide. It's something that your soul needs and craves every day of its life. I'm going to give you something that nobody has and everybody wants. It's better that I go. He says this in Acts 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, sorry, I'm so sorry, my disciples and witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, worldly power is controlling and domineering. And it takes from people or uses people to position itself and get what gets what it wants. But godly power, godly power restores people. It brings peace to all scenarios. It brings restoration to all places. It is full of joy and patience and goodness and love. It is bright and light and kind and good. And man, it is powerful. In fact, that word power in the Bible is the word uh, Dionysus, where we get the word dynamite. And so Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with something internal that is absolute dynamite. In the Old Testament, Micah puts it this way. It says this, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. That Old Testament word is koak, and it means capacity and ability and isn't that what you need tonight isn't that what you need in your life tonight aren't you tired church of looking like the world and then putting Jesus on a label over top of you aren't you disgusted of looking like everybody else aren't you tired of being anxious like everybody else aren't you tired of being depressed like the world aren't you tired of being bitter like the world and gossipy like the world and broken like the world and hurting like the world and unable to walk like the world He's like, I've got something more for you than that. And so listen, we walk around and we say things like, God is good, but we've got this cognitive dissonance because we say God is good, but we're not experiencing the goodness. And God's like, I have something more for you than that. I didn't come for a half gospel. I bled for the full amount of my treasure in you. So let's go. I don't know about you, but it's time for some life change in the church. Life change. Ultimate life change in the church. Not worldly power. Paul puts it this way. He says in 2 Corinthians, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against Jesus. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Jesus looks at his disciples and he's like, I gotta go. And they're like, what? But you died already. Can you just not? You know, like, and then he says this. He goes, I mean, picture him making eye contact with them. He's like, it's better that I go. Church, what could be better than walking day in and day out with Jesus? Like, what could be better? What could be better than sitting and talking and eating with him? What could be better and yet he says, listen, I have been with you personally. I've walked with you personally, but now, <laughs> oh, now, I'm going to be in you physically. And I'm going to walk with you internally. I'm going to change you from the inside out. You don't need me as a friend. You need me as your life. 
And so he says, it's better that I go. And then he ascends into the clouds. I love this. You read your Bibles, guys. He ascends into the clouds and angels meet him. They're like, sup, welcome home. You know, like, <laughs> it's so awesome. He ascends into the clouds. And the spirit, they wait for the spirit that Jesus promised. And so the apostolic women, the like disciples, the like extra people, they're all up in this room. There's like extras, like Jesus has extras, right? And they're all up in this room and they're praying. And what are they praying for? God, come. You said you'd come, so come. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in like a wind, shakes walls, falls on them like fire, and the church is born. And so what I want to talk to you for the next couple of minutes about is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. There's just three things, okay? The first thing is this. The Holy Spirit enables you, church. The Holy Spirit enables you. It says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues as the Spirit, this is what I want you to focus on, not the tongues part, don't be like, let's get into a theological debate right now. Not the tongues part. As the Spirit enabled them. Spurgeon says that the Holy Spirit gives iron to your bones and brass to your muscles. It makes you strong in a way that you weren't strong before. It made you capable of doing things that you couldn't do before. For example, we meet Peter. When you meet Peter in Matthew 4, he is a JV squad, like dropout from high school. He is a fisherman, and if you read about him, like he's not that great at fishing. Like, he comes in, and he's like, I caught nothing. Like, it's like, it's like, he's not good at it. And so, you read about Peter, and you're like, dude. And Peter, for his age, he was probably 19, 20 years, late, late teens, early 20s, which meant this. It meant that he was rejected already as having capacity. Because if you study the Jewish tradition during the time, they had the Jewish Mishnah, which was schooling. And by age five, it was the way that they weeded out the best of the best, Okay. And so they had, by age five, they um, auditorially would learn the Torah, and they had to memorize, I think, like, the first five books or something like that. By age 10, they would know it. They would know it written. They would know it verbally, orally. And then they also would begin to interpret. By age 15, they would not only be able to interpret, but at this point, the rabbis would start scouting in this group, in, the, in this group of young boys, the best of the best of the best. And out of those, they would each choose a disciple. And then they would say, come and follow me, just like Jesus did. But they would say, come and follow me, and you are going to be my disciple. It was the best of the best of the best. My point is this. My point is, is that when we meet Peter, he is the opposite of the best of the best of the best. When we meet Peter, he is lacking in capacity. When we meet Peter, he is lacking in inertia and ability. When we meet Peter, he is insecure, if we're being honest. He is unsure of himself. If we're being honest, he is plagued with all of the emotions that you and I are plagued with, anger and frustration, arrogance, pride. He has all of those things going on in him when we meet him. And can I just be honest for a second? It doesn't change when he meets Jesus. Peter walks with Jesus for three years, and his character doesn't shift a ton. Peter walks with Jesus for three years, and he still lacks self-control. He's still kind of a loose cannon. He's, like, angry all the time, and then, but then he's, like, super sorry he's angry. And then there's different points in time where he, like, wants to be, like, the cool disciple and, like, everybody follow him. You know, like, like he's so human. 
You read about him and you're just like, dude, you're not changing a whole ton. And then, and then at like the pinnacle where you think Peter like needs to come in clutch because he's like Jesus's dude, right? Like he's like the cornerstone. Okay, Jesus is about to get crucified. He goes to pray. He's like, you're my homie, Peter. I need you to sit here. I need you to pray. This is it. I just need you to pray with me, Peter. Just stay awake and pray with me. And Peter's like, I got you, right? Peter, uh, Jesus leaves. Peter falls asleep. And then like an hour later, he cuts off some dude's ear in like arrogance and anger. And Jesus is like, whoa. And he heals his ear. <laughs> Peter, jeez. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus knows, though, what Peter does not. And that's, dude, the only way that you're going to change is from my spirit. That's it. So the Peter that we meet in Matthew 4 is insecure. He's like fishing. He's not very good at it. JV squad, like honestly lacking in just a lot of ways. I'm sure you can relate with that. I relate with that. Lacking in so many ways. The Peter we meet in Acts 2, I don't even understand this, Peter. It says this. It says that Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Crowd, fellow Jews and those who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen to me carefully what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what is spoken from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On these servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit on those days. They'll prophesy. I'll show wonders from the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, builders of the smoke. Sun will be turned to darkness, moon to blood. Listen, I know that sounds scary, but that's God's judgment and you want it because that, that means that God is just. You want it. You don't want him to not be just. That means he has no scale of what's right and wrong. That means he has no scale. It's just like craziness. Jesus is just. You want this. Believe me. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Before the coming um, of the great and glorious day of our Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter gets up, and he's got this, like, mad authority. It's crazy. I mean, you can, it says Peter rose up with the 11. I mean, you can, it's like a movie. He's like, I mean, you can like see it. There's like smoke, you know, I don't know. But like he gets up, he gets up and he preaches the gospel. And I know this is hard to comprehend like thousands of years later, but for the very first time, how scary is that? He gets up in front of thousands of people, and the Bible says this, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. It took eight years to get to 1,000 people here. It took the Holy Spirit eight minutes with Peter to get to 3,000 people. More power. I mean, you want capacity tonight? What is it that you need capacity in? Do you need peace tonight? Do you need joy tonight? Do you need... Uh, freedom. Like what are you lacking in capacity? Because whatever you want, God is good for it. Wherever your lack is, the Holy Spirit has capacity for you. This is the second thing. The Holy Spirit cleanses. It says this in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. If we are blessed when we see God, then when we see God, man, we are given a pure heart. There's a new song out by Hillsong United. It's called Good Grace. I don't know if you've heard it. If not, like listen to it 9,000 times on the way home, okay? It is so good. It is so anointed. But he says this. He says, clean hands, pure heart, good God, good grace. And when I hear that line, something in me is like, 
all I want, and I don't know if anybody in the room can relate with this, but man, I'm hoping some of you do. All I want right now is a clean heart. The last thing I want is to be far from God. All I want is pure hands. Like, you can take the world, you can take money, you can have it all, but I just want to feel that freedom of pure heart. In the book of Ezekiel, if you haven't read the book of Ezekiel, it's awesome. Read your Bibles. Don't watch Netflix. You want something scary? Watch Jesus cast out demons. Don't watch Bird Box, okay? Like, <laughs> like, like, turn off Netflix tonight and pray. Just give it a go. Gosh. Honestly, okay, I don't want to get into it, but I can't stand horror films. Okay, don't do it in Jesus' name. Okay, go. All right, so. <laughs> Where am I? What am I doing? Um, <laughs> clean hands, pure hearts. In Ezekiel, it says, man, I will cleanse you. All throughout Ezekiel, that's the prophecy. I'm going to cleanse my people. It's the common language. I'm going to cleanse these people. I'm going to cleanse this land. I'm going to cleanse their hearts. And at the pinnacle of this, he says to Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. <sighs> wow. This is foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. He is going to die. He is going to be resurrected. And he is going to ascend into heaven. And then he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And when he does that, listen, he will remove out the stones in your life. And he will, this is how good God is. He doesn't, when the Holy Spirit comes in church, he doesn't just take out the bad. He replaces it with good. That's how good God is. That's how righteous God is. And how for you he is. He doesn't just, man, he doesn't just come in and leave you astray. He doesn't just say out with pornography. He literally will replace it with something else if you ask him. And so listen, if there is something lifeless in you tonight, he can bring it to life. If there is something tarnished in you tonight, he can make it shiny. If there's something partial in you tonight, he can make it whole. If there's something broken and bitter tonight, he can heal it. And listen, if there is something enchained and bound, like just bondage, if you have something weighing you down, he is fully capable of breaking that completely if you would but ask. And so I wonder tonight if there's a room full of people that are willing to just say, I need just a little more. God will always answer a prayer. More God, more of you. More of you. Because more power means more God. More power means more God. On the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and he preached to, you know, group of people and 2,000 years later we are in a room and we're worshiping the living God because of what he did that day. What's crazy about it is it all started from people sitting in a room and just saying more God, more God, more God, just more. And listen, if you have the Holy Spirit tonight, I want you to understand there are two different types of, of things going on because um, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so if you're a Christian, he's living in you. That's theologically true. But he's never going to not answer a question of you asking for more. Like, not ever. And I think what's lacking in our generation of the church today, and we talk a mean game about changing the world, and then we have these shriveled Christian spiritual lives because we do not beg God for more. There's a story about Peter. For those of you who know about his life, Peter, I mean, he was so transformed. He was so transformed by the power of God that he would walk around and people would get healed by being in his shadow. This is real. At one point, 
There's a man begging on the side of the road, and, and he just looks up at Peter, and he says, do you have silver? Do you have gold? Like, he's begging for his life because he's crippled. That's all he can do. As his livelihood, all he can do is beg. And Peter looks down at him, and he says, silver and gold, I cannot give you. He says, but I can give you this. He says, stand up and walk. And the dude stands up and walks. 1,200 years later, I need you to hear this. 1,200 years later, Thomas Aquinas, he's a, he's a saint. He walks into the office of the Pope. And the Pope has like gold and silver sat on the, out on the table. And he, said, he says, look, Thomas, he's like, no longer do we need to say we don't have silver and we don't have gold. No longer do we need to say that. And Thomas Aquinas said this, like in like the mic drop of the century. He says, and no longer do we say get up and walk. John and I went to Rome last year. We got to see like all these giant churches, right? They're beautiful. They have like these gold flecked ceilings and they've got art and history and you walk in and it's just like, you hear all these stories about things that God was doing during that time and in that season. And it was so cool because, I mean, if you go there, this massive outpouring of the arts came from the center of a church. Like, like when you think about Michelangelo and you think about Raphael, it came from like Jesus and this church. It's amazing. You walk into these churches and they're empty and they're no longer worshiping. And these amazing mantles that used to be powerful movements of God are now museums to what God used to do in the past. And I think that God is looking at a generation of people and he's like, man, now is the time. Now is the time if you would be willing to ask for a little more of me. Because I don't know about you, church, but I really do believe that a shift is taking place. And it is one of purity. It is one of holiness. It is one of righteousness. Man, the world has nothing for me. I don't know how you feel tonight, but that's how I feel. I just want more of God. I want more of his freedom. I've experienced more freedom in the last couple of weeks. I wish we could sit down and have coffee. And it's like he is so good and so righteous. He has peace for everything every single person, if we would but ask. And so if everybody in here can stand tonight, I just want to ask you two separate questions. And the first one is this. If you're in here, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, I got saved when I was 18 years old, and I'm still learning about the depth of my God. I knew that he came for me. I knew that he rescued me. Man, I knew that he was for me. <laughs> I knew that he saved me from me. You know what I mean? And so if you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus just as your Lord and as your Savior, would you raise your hand tonight so I can just see you? Would you raise your hand so I can see you? Amen. I see you. Amen. I see you. Amen. All right. Now there's another group I came for tonight. There's a group that God came for tonight. <laughs> And that's the rest of you. And so if you're in here and you feel a lack, 
you don't have capacity. You don't have peace. You don't have tranquility. You don't have reconciliation. You have anger. You have maybe pornography. You have maybe addiction. You have hurt. You have pain. You have bitterness. You have a past. Man, you don't know who you are. If that's you tonight, I just want you to raise your hand because God is about to pour out more on you. Can you raise your hand nice and high? Nice and high. Nice and high. God, we thank you. Here's what I want to see you do tonight, Jesus. Just come. Just come, God. God, we don't need another sermon, man. We don't need a podcast. (laughs) We don't need a Tim Keller book. We need you. And so, Jesus, I just ask that you would come. Holy Spirit, I invite you. Holy Spirit, you will find nobody rejecting you tonight. My husband always says this, church. You can keep your eyes closed, but my husband always says this. He says, the Holy Spirit only goes where he's welcome because he's a gentleman. And so tonight, you just got to open up just a touch. Let those floodgates in. I promise you, you won't regret it. Jesus, thank you for the people in here who got saved. God, I pray that they would understand that by confessing you before all of men, God, you are not ashamed to show them before all of heaven. God, that they get heaven later and they get the Holy Spirit in the here and now. God, I pray you invade them tonight in a wild way. Um, And Jesus, I thank you for our prayer teams that are coming forward. I thank you for our prayer teams that are going to be at the back of the room. God, I pray that you would move just incredibly in and through them. God, we are trusting you to do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do something a little different tonight. And we're going to just, oh, I should have told a daisy this. And kids rock this. Sorry. We're just going to pray until we are done praying. And we're just going to worship until we're done worshiping. Um, There are people at the front. There's three tables at the back. And what we would love for you tonight is to, if you'd like to pray with somebody for more God, more God, more power means more God, more power in your life. What you're asking for is I need more God. And that's what we're going to pray for together. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, there I am with them in their midst, that you can actually ask Jesus for anything. I've seen him do crazy stuff, church. And so there's going to be uh, people at the back. You're welcome to go pray there. There's going to be people at the front. You're welcome to. But man, let's just ask him simply. Can we all just raise our hands as we begin to worship and thank God for what he's going to do tonight? God, we thank you. I praise you. Come in the way only you can come. We love you. Amen.